Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Since we are talking about legal documents and the importance of estate planning in the month of August, we thought we'd bring back some superstars that we've interviewed in the past. Today, we are going to go all the way back into the archives of episode 18, where I talk with Amy Refka, like Rebecca, I believe is how I pronounced it correctly this time, where Amy really gives us some good insight on, on the um, on estate planning for women. And particularly, one of the things that I loved about this podcast, and it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it actually was back in 2018, was that she talks about the six D's of estate planning. So we hope you enjoy this episode and that you'll share this with your friends and that you also are thinking about your own estate plan and getting it done. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. I think you're going to find today's episode really interesting because this is an attorney that focuses on planning for women. So right up my alley of that focus is Amy Rifka. Did I pronounce that correctly? It is Rafeka, like Rebecca. Rafeka. Oh, I'm so sorry. Amy, what would you say? I know when we talked before the actual um, recording and the initial introduction that we had, which was done by one of my XY Planning Network um, co-members, um, what would you say drove you to the direction of, first of all, um, becoming an attorney, but probably let's back up and even more importantly, ask you the question that we always ask all of our um, guests. Do you have a particular favorite wine? <laughs> That's the real important question. Well, um, I so my I have to say my favorite wine would be kind of not of wine. It's really okay. it's, it's sangria. So it's a wine concoction. Do you have any particular wine that you like in that sangria? Is there a particular brand or um, mix that you like? Yeah. So I like reds. I'm a red fan. So I know that some folks make their sangria with whites. Um, but I am definitely a red and I am really interested in, uh, California reds. I love California reds and I love, uh, the 
California Malbecs, actually. Mm, yeah, now we're talking about good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an unusual choice to put in a sangria, but I kind of like the way it ends up. So that's what I do. I just kind of do what I love. Well, Malbecs actually, you probably know this, but they actually originally were made, I shouldn't say made, they were usually used as a blend. So years ago, Malbec grapes were not something that we would normally see as a particular um, single variety. We would see them added to a blend. And, and over the last, I would say, 10 years, it's actually become more and more of a uh, you know, a grape that people are a type of wine that people are actually seeking out. I love Malbecs and I think they're a great base because they're nice and dry, but they usually have some, you know, tartness to them as far as like the cherries that's in the air. And so you and I could spend a lot of time talking about Malbec. <laughs> what's more, what's more interesting actually is tell me a little bit about how you became an attorney like, you know, Sangria. There's tons of different ingredients that go into making a person and, I'd love to know your ingredients. Well, I actually became an attorney uh, by accident or by unintentional thought. I went to school originally to be uh, an archaeologist. I have an undergraduate degree in anthropology and archaeology with an emphasis on Native American cultures. And I, there was a moment um, in, that I was making decisions about graduate school. And I, I remember the exact moment, actually. And I thought to myself, if I go to graduate school and I pursue this particular dream, I'm probably going to be poor for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and there were some things going on in my personal life. And, you know, it was somewhat of a financial crisis, uh, which was not necessarily unusual for things happening in my personal life with, you know, family members and so on in my history. And I thought that's, that's not what I want. And I really made this really instantaneous snap decision. I had a girlfriend taking LSAT courses uh, to go to law school in the fall. This was spring. And at the last minute, I said, oh, I could probably do that. All lawyers are rich. I, had, I did not know a lawyer, by the way. Um, I had never met one in my life. <laughs> and um, so I just at the last minute said, I'll just go to law school. Why not? I love going to school. Um, need to go to school. And that's, that's kind of how I ended up being an attorney. It was no forethought at all. No planning. <laughs> Yeah. That's, I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah. You know? oh, absolutely. And, and to be I fair, love... I still want to be Indiana Jones. Like, <laughs> I think it's, I, I actually have a, a couple of clients that are archaeologists and they're, you know, I love talking to them and, um, and hearing the stories that they have about their travels. Uh, so, so it's interesting that, you know, it, with law, it's sort of like an archaeologistic to some extent, because you're digging, digging, digging for facts a lot of time, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I really discovered um, some interesting things just about myself and how, especially anthropology and like culture. And so there's so many facets of anthropology and the study of native, you know, the natives 
religion, folklore, mystery, and just the confluence of all that, that I, I see in the law. So I do see that. Interesting. I think uh, I'd love to hear more about that at some point. Maybe that's for another episode only because I have um, some history in my family of native American and, and I'm trying to right now dig into that a little bit more and actually understand exactly what that history is. So I, I'd love to, to do a sidebar conversation about that. But, um, I, you know, I think another aspect of your practice that I particularly found intriguing, and as I mentioned in the introduction, you specifically focus on doing estate planning for women. That is your top focus or one of the top focuses within your practice. And I, you know, I think a lot of people don't, you know, they might say, well, why? And I'd love for you to share how you came to that particular desire. Well, the desire, uh, so I've been an attorney for almost 18 years. Uh, it'll be 18 in December. And I didn't always focus on women and I didn't even always focus on particularly planning. But when I did begin to focus on planning around eight years ago, it was as a result of a desire to, to satisfy this need inside of me to serve, to serve. Um, instead of, you know, in my previous role, I didn't feel that what I was doing as an attorney was service. I felt it was more defensive and taking. So it was more like a, a pulling away from others versus a giving to others. So when I did begin to plan, it was truly just eye-opening and heart-opening really that I was able to be an attorney and serve uh, and serve a community and serve families and, and protect families. And so when I started protecting families and helping individuals put plans in place, there was always this little this nagging feeling at the back of my, my mind that it, it, we weren't serving everyone. And so a few years ago, I looked around my, you know, the landscape of estate planning and elder law, uh, which is really, you know, estate planning 2.0. In my estimation, it's really just a, a continuation of it with a different name. And I thought, you know, my family that I grew up in as a child was a woman-led household. My mother was a single mother. Uh, this that happened at around the age of five for me. I was the youngest of three daughters, so a lot of estrogen in my household. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I just looked around websites and article photographs and, you know, the free estate planning seminars and all of this and every picture, every message that was being sent didn't look like the family that I grew up in. And I got, I got mad. I really did. I got angry uh, at this idea that my mother would have never reached out to any of those estate planners because she would have felt like she didn't belong. Like, the un underlying messages from, you know, that I was seeing and that I felt coming off of those messages, you know, was that my family would not have been able to go to that office. Mm -hmm. And I got mad at my industry. And then I had that aha moment of, 
why get mad? Do something about it. And so it started that I decided to really focus on helping women. And I don't, you know, help exclusively to women, meaning I don't turn men away. I don't turn women away who are in a committed relationship uh, with a male. It just happens to be that women plan differently. And I know that you know that. And so I create a space where every woman, whether she's in a relationship or not, whether she's leading the household or not, has a seat at my table to plan the way she feels that she needs to plan. And, I, you know, I'm the same way. I don't, it's not like I'm marketing my business to be, hey, I'm, I'm only going to work with women. But predominantly, that is the type of people that are coming to me. And I think a big piece of that is the way that we make them feel. It's not intimidating. I mean, the stuff that you and I talk to our clients about, this isn't, this isn't conversation that is easy for a lot of people. And we need to create a space that it's like talking to girlfriend. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the number one rule, and this is a, this is, it's, it's just a, not even a rule. It's just a number one principle for our office it goes into when we hire, it goes into when, you know, I choose a piece of furniture for the lobby. It goes into, you know, every message that I try to send out is this is a safe place to ask questions. You know, you won't be spoken down to, you won't be condescended. You can ask any question. And so I think you're right. I think it's, it's the feel that we create. It's the message that we send that says, there's a space for you here. You know, we'll help work through any amount of question, questions that you have. And you know what I, you know what I think is really important is that, that I have found is that for so long, at least in my generation, I'm 44, at least in my generation, I have felt like we have carried this banner of those who came before us fought so hard. We have to, to, to carry that on and and honor that legacy in such a way that we cannot show weakness. And when and I feel as though that sometimes questions are equated to weakness because a question will carry that message of I don't know the answer to this and as a woman I feel like if I don't know the answer that could potentially be seen as weakness. And so I had better not show or ask that question or show that weakness. Interesting. You know, I, I agree. So when you started speaking a moment ago and you said, you know, we feel this pressure that we need to um, show that all of those that have gone before us have made efforts. And I think we, we have, I mean, we're sitting at the table, we're talking about this. Can you imagine 25, 30 years ago, women talking about money at all, <laughs> you know, or, or talking about estate planning at all? I mean, it was, it was left up to, in most cases, it was left up to the hands of, you know, women weren't even at that point in time working outside the home in professional careers that much. So we've made this great headway, but I'd never thought of it about the fact that perhaps that does psychologically equate to weakness. 
And so what do we do to open up those doors so that there is that comfort level of no question is a stupid question unless it goes unasked? So one of the things that I've tried to do is I, and this was, this was not, this did not come naturally to me, by the way. Um, I am an incredibly private person, uh, incredibly private, incredibly introverted, actually. Mm. And um, I really have tried in my own personal life to shine light on all of those places where I have felt shame for not knowing when I feel I should have known for not doing what I feel I should have done. And I also openly talk about them on in many ways. Sometimes when I'm speaking in events, you know, on shows uh, like this where I've been invited to speak, I, I just try to say, hey, you know, you're not alone in feeling this way. And I feel like the more that a light is shined on any of those areas, then others around us can have courage. You know, I've been encouraged by other women doing this. And I think that's a a very large piece of it. And so sometimes when I'm speaking to a woman at my conference room table, you know, I'll share something that's happened in my personal life because I have a lot of experiences, you know, in my personal life that relate to estate planning and elder law and helping families feel like they're not the only ones going through that. Um, and so I think that's part of it. I think that's really a huge piece of it is, is, you know, especially with money, our relationship to money Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it's important. There's a, there's a lot of energy, sometimes very negative energy around that relationship with money or when I speak, cause I speak about money a lot of times as well. And so I think that's a huge piece of it. I don't know if that's your experience in in your life and in what you've done to help women. Absolutely. I, you know, women, um, well, there's a whole psychology that goes along with money that, you know, has, there's been numerous studies that have been done around it. And, you know, one of the things that I always see when it comes to estate planning, especially is that, um, when people are doing estate planning or any planning, to be honest, you know, there's always this perception that, well, it has to be fair. Um, and I agree with that, but fair is a relative term and sometimes is construed as equal. And um, when we talk about, you know, when you want to, what would you, look, you're going to be gone, right? You're, you're planning for that period of time in your life that you're going to be gone. What do you want your family to have? Well, I don't want any infighting. <laughs> I don't want any of this. I don't want any of that. And I'll, you know, and I'll say to them, what's the reason, you know, if, if there was no emotion behind the decision that you're making, what would be the reason that you want to do these kinds of things? And really that's the important thing, right? And trying to get people beyond that, but it's all driven by money. Yeah. I mean, emotion. Yeah. What I always, I, I, I encounter that exact same thing. A lot of times when I'm, you know, sitting down at, at the table with families and you, there is this desire not to, to choose sometimes, like you, as you mentioned, you know, sometimes equal isn't always equal. And sometimes, you know, the de facto commonplace choice of a person in a certain role in estate planning isn't the right role. And so I encourage families in a few ways to think differently about 
estate planning. One is every choice that you make, whether it's a choice about the money, the choice about a role, the choice about, you know, whether you choose cremation or burial, every choice is a gift, is a gift to your family. And so estate planning is not about money. It is, you know, not about choosing sides or choosing favorites. Estate planning is truly just about the gift of your choice. So your family never has to question what you wanted. And I think that goes a long way, especially with moms uh, to, you know, and especially sometimes I'll have a mom and the uh, one of the adult daughters sitting at the table and I'll say that and I will, the my adult daughter at the table will start crying and say, please, mom, just make all the decisions. You know, we just want to know what you want. You know, that's our most important concern is, is we just want that. And, and I think that's a huge part of it. And then I think the other part of it is, um, there are a lot of myths around, you know, what happens if you do and do not have an estate plan. And I spend a lot of time educating families on, and, and women on, you know, what happens if you don't have one? And what happens if you just leave it up to my children know what I want? It becomes from my angle, what I've seen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it becomes a very, it's already a stressful time and it becomes even more stressful because you're second guessing everything. Yeah. And I think, uh, unknowingly, you, you know, you, you feel like you're, some, some women say to me, well, I really just want at that point, I won't be here and I want what's best for my children at that point, And they know best. Well, sometimes I have to remind them your children will be grieving <laughs> and your children will, you know, be in, you know, the middle of a really thick, thick storm of emotions. And that's not the moment you want them making decisions about how to remember you, you know? Right. And I think, I think a lot of children want to, want to honor whatever, if there is inheritance, I think they really want to honor the majority of people want to honor that money that they're inheriting. Right. I mean, I, I remember years ago when I inherited just a tad bit from my great grandmother and I wanted to make sure that however I used that money, that it would be a true honor to her. She would be proud of me in the way that I, I utilized that resource. She was not, (laughs) she did not have a lot in her whole life. And the fact that there was anything left over amazed me. And I wanted to make sure that I, I um, had great honor in in how I assessed the use of those funds. And, um, you know, if I knew that there was something in particular that was more meaningful than anything else to her, then I, I, definitely would have wanted to choose it, but I agonized over a very small amount of money because I just wanted to make sure that it was, you know, thinking of her and, and, and her, her honor, however I used it. A lot of people don't know that, that, you know, they don't think like that. They don't think, well, how would I want my kids to you know, do I want to send my grandkids to college? And that's how it would be great, you know, ideal if I, if they honored me in that way or you know, paid down debt or, or go on a trip, you know, have, having those conversations sometimes is nice. Yeah. And I think too, um, one of the things that we try to do here 
which I think is, is somewhat unique and really is, it resonates with women in my practice that I've seen is you can actually instill your values and your desires and your hopes into your estate plan. You know, if you wish that your child be charitable, you can instill that into your plan. If you would hope that your child would reach a certain level of education, uh, then if you if you are entrepreneurial, you should instill that in your plan. It should not just be a, you know, a cookie cutter as you know, type. Uh, and I see this in my industry and it, it pains me <laughs> that um, it shouldn't be just a one size fits all because your family does not look like every other family out there. And in talking about the way that you sit down with your, your clients, I mean, if, if somebody is, is on the fence with estate planning, what would you say are, and, and, and I realize you're licensed to practice in Georgia and Florida. So for, for listeners that are outside that area, it's a bit of a challenge, but, but what should be the expectation when you sit down with, and I'm not saying what is, <laughs> I'm saying what should be the expectation when somebody says, okay, you know, it's time, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to either interview some attorneys to find out if they're the right fit for me, um, find out, you know, how they practice, what would be some of the top tips that you would suggest based on your years of experience in the industry and, and what will work well? with many people. What I would recommend that anyone who is, you know, interested in the process and interested in what does it look like to have an estate plan is definitely, as you mentioned, interview the attorney, you know, interview the firm. And, you know, not every, I can't help every client that walks in, potential new client, you know, because I may not speak to them in the way that they need in the moment for them to feel good about the process. And I can recognize that. And sometimes I'll, you know, I'll let them know. So you really need to have a connection. You need to feel like the attorney is listening to you, that someone, you know, throughout that process, you will be listened to. You will not be spoken to. And that's really critical. So if you do not walk away from your first experience, then I would highly recommend do not hire that attorney because this is not a process that you should go through being spoken to. It is a process you should go through being listened to. So I would say that's definitely number one. Number two is if you are a mother of a child under the age of 18, and that's in most states, a minor, you should really question how does that attorney address guardianship issues, meaning who's going to take care of your kids if something happens to you in your estate plan. And because if you are injured, but the only place in your estate plan that addresses guardianship is in your will, well, your will is never going to be seen in the event of just an injury. You really should have uh, a nomination of guardianship somewhere else. And to me, that's really critical for, for moms. You know, as a mom of children under the age of 18, that's really critical. So I think if you're a mom, you really need to, to look at that. And I would say that the other 
The other aspect of hiring an estate planning attorney and working with the firm is have they clearly laid out in front of you the process, what you can expect and when can, when can you expect it? Because this is a legal process in some ways. This is a process and, you know, the person coming, walking in my door has never gone to law school. And when they walk back out my door with their estate plan, uh, it should not be treated as a transaction. It should be treated at that point forward as a relationship. And so you should ask questions such as, you know, may I reach out to you afterward? Because in three months, I guarantee most folks will pick up the plan that I've created for them and not necessarily understand what they're reading. There should be a game plan after you leave an estate planning attorney's office for you to be able to understand what you have in front of you. And I would say that's really, I think, important when you're going into this process. I, I love that because so many people over the years that I've met with them, you know, we, we talk about what, do you have the basic estate planning documents? Do you have a trust? Um, what are you going to do for your minors? They'll say, if, if they've done it, they'll say, you know, I, I don't recall how, how we had those documents. And, you know, we start looking at it and I'll say, so your plan was this. And they kind of, you know, especially with couples will look at each other and go, Oh, remember that discussion or what does that mean? Or, you know, there's a lot of, um, confusion around and, and maybe they fully understood it the day that they walked out of the office, but they haven't revisited it for 10 years you know, and they don't recall some of the things that they put in place at that point in time. So I think in addition to not just understanding when they walk out of the office, but revisiting every once in a while and making sure that they still understand it is really important. Yeah. I always tell folks that there's like six D's when you should think like trigger, when you should think about your estate plan. And uh, I'd be happy to share those with you. You know, the, the D's really just kind of center around life events. And, you know, so death, you know, divorce or marriage, right? So those two go together. Um, I always say a birthday, a day, no, another major <laughs> day. <laughs> um, if someone has become disabled or a chronic oh, illness yeah. in your plan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if a dividend of wealth has come into your life, inheritance, uh, mm -hmm. a retirement lump sum, you know, sold a business. Mm -hmm. And then if anyone in your plan has moved a distance to you or away from you, mm -hmm. sometimes that can trick or you have. Uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, and I deal with a lot of fam, you know, older couples moving closer to adult children here, you know, in the greater Atlanta area. And, um, so I, I get that one quite often actually, as they're moving closer to one particular child. And so maybe it makes more sense to, uh, you know, put that person in line mm -hmm. in the power of attorney succession. Mm -hmm. So or healthcare proxy yeah. or something. Yeah. 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 So those six D's are ones. And then I say, of course, you know, uh, any other time, just reach out. It is a relationship afterwards to your point. It's a relationship staying in relationship with your estate planning attorney. Even if it's just to say, Hey, how are you? Is really critical. So, and, and I think a lot of people miss that part. They, they sign the document, they walk away and then, um, unless something prompts them like somebody like me or 
unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it is the death side of it that prompts them to reach out. There's been no review in, in the meantime. And I love the, the D's that you have. We'll, we'll list those in the show notes just, you know, so people can refer back to that. But um, I, I think that it is important to every once in a while, maybe every third year or something, just sort of glance down through those documents and, and make sure that they're current or that something hasn't happened. My husband and I are currently going through this process. We pulled out some documents and we're looking through it and we both looked at each other and like, well, these are only seven years old, but they're really outdated. <laughs> like, like we really need to make some changes to this stuff. Um, and they're only seven years old, but, but kids, not our kids, but nephews have grown up and, and you know, that they're, they're, they've changed in, in the way that they've um, developed and they're now more responsible. And so some of the complexity that they, that we built into those aren't needed as much. You know, we'd, we'd rather just have them have some of the things that if, if something happens to us, you know, there, there doesn't need to be a barrier anymore. So I think, you know, in seven years doesn't sound that long, but seven years, you mentioned that you have a seventh grader and ninth grader. And, you know, if you think about seven years on their lives, (laughs) that's a big change that could be happening. (laughs) Yeah. In seven years, I'll no longer have minor children. Yeah. (laughs) So just kind of change in the direction just a little bit. I'm curious, when you were a kid, were you included in any kind of money conversation? You mentioned that you sort of fell into the industry of, of law, but were you ever included in, in some of the money conversations that were around your household? No, um, definitely not. There, and I don't even have clarity that there were money conversations in my household. I, I definitely had a sense of moments where there were not, there was not enough. Um, and you know, my mom worked really hard at multiple jobs, uh, to, to create a life where it appeared that we wanted for nothing. But I know that there, you know, I know even as a very young child, there were a lot of moments of financial crisis. And I think nowadays we understand a lot more back than back in the seventies when I grew up that children sense so much more than we give them credit for. So, you know, growing up, I definitely did not have clarity of those conversations did not. um, Yeah. I mean, other than possibly, you know, sitting in the lobby at the bank and getting that, you know, yum, yum sucker, (laughs) you know, at the bank, like I don't, I don't recall any, whether it was with my father when I was with him occasionally uh, on the weekends or whether it was in my mother's house. Definitely struggle. Do you include your kids in in money conversations now? We do. We uh, probably should do more, to be fair. We, you know, it's, we actually include our children in our estate planning decisions. I will say that uh, because they're teenagers you know, we've begun to talk to them about choices of who they would live with if something happened to us. Um, as far as the money conversations, we definitely talk to them about, um, about a few different concepts when it comes to money. We talked, we talked to them a great deal about how money should not be the driving factor in decisions about what you, you know, would like to do as an adult. Uh, I talk a great, I talk personally talk to them a great deal about, you know, the money will come 
or it just will not be as important to you if you are doing something that you wake up every day and are excited to do. Uh, so we talk a lot about that. And then as far as money, you know, they have savings accounts, they, you know, they earn money in certain ways. I will say this, for example, uh, my daughter lost her, a particular accessory to some technology that she had to turn in and she's earning that money back, <laughs> uh, from me. She has to, you know, I, I did the, uh, min federal minimum wage and divided out the money. And I said, this is how many hours you have to give me, uh, <laughs> I love that you're teaching her what the minimum wage is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I actually made her, you know, look it up and she knew what it was. And I was like, okay, so that's what you have to give me uh, in time because, you know, you were responsible for this piece of technology. <laughs> what I'm curious what her response to it was when you made her look it up. Did she think that's not very much or did she think, wow, that's a lot? What, what, what were her thoughts when she looked up what the minimum wage was? Well, she is a lawyer's daughter. She negotiated. <laughs> <laughs> She, she negotiated for a higher wage. <laughs> I love it. I'm a true believer that we are what we see, right? So I, I think, um, you know, both you and I have broken the mold within our family as far as, you know, I didn't have uh, any, heck when I'm two years older than you, I didn't have, I didn't know any women that were financial advisors when I got into this business 24 or five years ago. It, it wasn't something I even, it wasn't even really a career, honestly. Um, and it doesn't sound like you necessarily had, you know, a role model for a woman that you said, Oh, look at this attorney. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of her, but now we do have that responsibility to sort of get out there and say, look, you can be a woman as a financial advisor. You can be a woman as a, as an attorney and you can do very well in those fields. Um, so, so more women can see more young ladies can see those of us that have done some trailblazing, I guess you want to say, um, do your daughter, does your daughter, you know, look at different careers and, and different options in her life and say, yeah, I can do whatever I want. Yes. Uh, like without a doubt. And I think my son as well. And I think the beautiful thing, we have a son and a daughter. And I think some of the ideas that I bring home with me, um, specifically, yeah, to answer your question specifically, my daughter is very strong minded when it comes to what she wants to do, who she, you know, and I actually try to really talk to her about, go figure out who you want to be, not what you want to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's Absolutely. a mantra that I have a lot of times when I'm mentoring anyone who is younger. Uh, so she's very, very strong willed when it comes to that. She, uh, she very much is interested in being an entrepreneur. She does not necessarily, well, actually I know she does not want to be an attorney and neither of my children do, but they very much want to be, especially my daughter has talked very heavily about being disruptive in the industry that she wants to go into. Um, and she says, you know, she's very strong minded about it. And so and she, she, goes out on her own and investigates even at age 14, like different ways that she can accomplish that. Um, and as for my son, he very much, um, well, just to kind of start when I started my own law firm, I didn't know what I was doing. And I, you know, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't successful, um, at first as a business owner, I may have been successful as an attorney, but not as, as a business owner. And at some point I realized it was because I was using my family as an excuse uh, and, and a story, 
to not be successful as a business owner. And so eventually I went to my children and my husband and I, I said, you know, I, I, I got their permission in a way to do certain things such as not be at a particular school event because I needed to go to an event that evening. Um, and it was important for me to hear my children say that as a mother, because, you know, we have this dichotomy of choices to make, you know? And so now it's kind of coming back to haunt me a little bit because now when, if I don't go to something, my daughter will look at me and say, why not? You know, why are you not doing that? Why, why not mom? <laughs> so, um, yeah, she's, she's, she's going to, she's going to be a live one. She already is. I can't wait to see how she develops. <laughs> she sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, she, she is. From a distance, you know, when I, because I don't have any children, um, as an aunt, it, as I sit back and watch my, my nieces and nephews develop, I, I kind of snicker a, a little bit and say, Oh, that's going to be interesting to see how that one turns out because I don't have to go through it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just get to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, because you're an entrepreneur now, I mean, you know, you're running your own business. You're, you're, um, you're a mother, you're an attorney, uh, you do some social, uh, activism as well. Um, what would you say is some of your biggest accomplishments? I would say I have a, a, f a few, but personally, my big, biggest accomplishment is how do I phrase this? Um, being truthful with myself. Uh, I, for a long time, was not honest even with myself uh, about what I really wanted to do, who I really wanted to be. I, you know, in, in my mission and purpose. I really thought that being an attorney was antithesis to my overall mission that I want to accomplish here on earth. Cause you, you know, in my mind, I only get one at bat on earth here. And I, I'm thinking super long term of my mission. And I really thought, you know, being an attorney was like an antithesis of that. And so it was hard for me sometimes to kind of align it. And so the truth is, is that my entire life and my entire journey is really bringing me every moment to wherever I need to be. And it took me a long time to kind of be clear on that. Uh, because again, I would tell myself a lot of stories about why I couldn't do something, why that couldn't be my mission, why I couldn't build my business because, you know, I needed to put food on the table and I needed to do this. And, you know, my children were going to be, um, you know, they were going to turn out horrible and think that I'm a horrible mother if I did this and not that. And I, I told myself a lot of stories. And so I think one of my biz biggest accomplishments personally has really been to stop telling myself stories. And I guess, and share them, have the courage to share that message with other women who are currently telling themselves stories, because that is not an easy conversation to sit across the table and have with a woman who is telling herself a story about why she can't do something. You know, there's a lot of rebuff on that, you know, like there's a lot of and other, you know, negative energy coming across the table of like, how dare you, you know? Um, but I sort of feel like it's part of my mission professionally. Uh, you know, building something from the ground up 
is a pretty amazing feeling. I actually, this morning, sat, was sitting in my lobby in this moment of quiet. And I just was sitting there waiting for the coffee machine at the office, you know, to to kick out my caffeine. And I'm an early bird, so I like to be here early when no one else is here. And I just looked around and I just had this moment of overwhelming gratitude that I have been able to build something from absolutely nothing. You know, I think we, at least me, I forget to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always thinking about the next step. Like, how do I, okay, you know, check it off list. That's done. We've achieved, you know, this particular goal. What's What's the next step? What's the next plan? How do we move forward? How do we keep moving forward? How do we keep growing? How do we keep achieving? And personally, I'm not good at taking that step back and saying, look at what we have achieved. I mean, yeah, that's, I'm sorry. No, I don't know if that's a woman thing or if that's just a type A personality thing or what that might be. Or, or both. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. yeah. And I think as women, we don't do that enough. Uh, and I, for me, you know, I grew up not being able to receive compliments well. I still can't. <laughs> yeah. And I, I grew up not being able to receive praise well. I did not want to be in the spot, which is strange because if uh, those who knew me growing up, I was a very bold personality. I would stand in public, speak anytime I wanted. And I was just, you know, I was very kind of in your face, but I didn't receive praise well. I didn't really want all of the attention just on me in honor of something that I did. I did not understand my value or worth and I couldn't receive any compliment to it. And that has been a personal journey as well as being able to finally step into a space where I can receive that. And I think that goes to your point of we move on to the next accomplishment and Mm -hmm. the next you know, we just kind of stick it on the shelf and move to the next, like, and I think that is a, a woman thing sometimes, um, you know, to, that, that it, it's part of, again, I sometimes think it's my generation as well. You know, this is what we're supposed to do. This isn't something we're supposed to be grateful for, or this is what we now have to do. We're obligated to do this and we shouldn't stop and receive praise for it. I had a, uh, there was an event that I was, uh, I I guess you could say honored at, which even just saying those words like makes me feel uncomfortable, strangely. But I remember going into the event and and looking at my husband and say, I would rather crawl under the table right now than go to this event. Mm. You know, so, so somebody is recognizing the work that I've done in trying to educate, um, youth, trying to educate women, trying to educate the public about financial matters, because I think financial education is not done well in this country. And that's a whole nother soapbox that I can often get on. (laughs) But, but, you know, I just, the thought of being the center of attention and, um, you know, it, it was a very uncomfortable moment for me. And my husband kept saying, you know, you should be so proud. You know, people think your work is valuable. And I, I said, I'm glad people feel that way. I just, would rather that they tell me that privately. (laughs) And I don't, 
I don't know the reason why that is. And, and, you know, I've, I've been doing some soul searching, trying to figure out myself. So it's, it's funny that we're having this conversation because one of the questions that I often ask people is, you know, what feeds your soul? I ask that of, of clients or prospective clients. Um, I revisit it because what feeds our soul today may not be what feeds our soul in five years. But I'm curious, based on this conversation that we're having, you know, what, what feeds your soul? Um, I mean, and that is a beautiful question because I, I think there is, everyone was put on earth with something that feeds their soul and you can call it purpose. You can call it mission. You can call it many things. Um, but I'm just kind of discovering, you know, at this age, which I love my age, by the way, I embrace it because I think it's giving me the wisdom to answer that question. And that I think what feeds my soul is on a base level, what feeds my soul is, is learning and, and education. So anytime that I am reading something and learning something new and seeing some sort of connection I never saw before, that's like the base answer, right? But as an overall feed my soul, I think it is whenever I'm in alignment with my mission and my mission is, is how we raise women in this country from the moment that they are brought into this earth and take their first breath to the moment that they leave, how we uh, raise women. Cause I believe that we're still raising them even when they're in their nineties. That's what feeds my soul. Like I, I literally will tap into an energy source that is completely, um, I, I don't even know how much clarity I have into where it comes from, but whenever I am doing something in alignment with that mission, with that, that overall message and mission and purpose of mine, it feeds my soul. It just, it, I could, I, I, I get energy. I can feel vibrations in my body. I, I get excited. I see opportunity. Opportunity comes to me. It is, um, but sometimes I struggle to get that back, right? Sometimes I struggle to pull it back into my life. And so really kind of what feeds my soul is, is knowing that uh, I'm doing something to further that. Even if it's just one person in front of me at the grocery store. I have to say, Amy, you are feeding my soul <laughs> because some of the things that you are saying are really resonating with me and making me, I'm actually making notes as we're having discussions for me to go back and kind of think through some things like, you know, it, it, it's, it's often, sometimes we feel very isolated as entrepreneurs, even if we have, you know, we're not solopreneurs in, I think we, we some, at least I do sometimes feel a little bit isolated and, um, and thinking that I, if, if I'm in a leadership position, I have to be on all the time. And it's for people that don't know, I too am actually what I would call a reformed introvert because <laughs> given, given the choice, I am very much like what you said. I, I can, I can put it on, you know, I can go out and I can be, um, a perceived extrovert. But in the core of my heart, you know, I, I tend to be that person that that's a very uncomfortable position for me to be in. And it takes a lot of energy, a lot of energy to um, put that show on, I guess you want to say. But but I love people. You know, I do truly love people and I love helping people. But I think 
sometimes because I feel like I always have to be on, I don't take time for myself and really revive what, what I need, right? So that I can become a better person and, and share more of myself with people. And I love what you said about um, finding your mission. And, and I love what you said about your age too, because I, I saw something on Facebook the other day that said life begins at 40. And I said, excellent, I'm six years old, you know? <laughs> But I do think that that's when, you know, you've had years of experience. We've had years um, where I think we've become comfortable in our own skin and we're confident about what we're doing at this point in time. And so I am, I am very guarded, but I'm a little less guarded in some respects than I was in my 20s because my, my shield isn't up as much. Like I am who I am. You know, I, I, I love um, helping people. I love educating people. I love talking to people about their journey. It's so interesting to learn from what others have come across. And I think, you know, when you talk about what feeds your soul and that education piece and getting that education out there in the world, that, that is something that I think more people need to hear. Just kind of keep growing, keep, educating yourself. We're never too late. It's never, ever too late to get educated about something. And, you know, some of my favorite clients are in their seventies and eighties and they're asking questions that they are now saying to me, boy, I wish I'd asked that question 20 or 30 or 50 years ago. Um, but they're not. So what? So what that they wish they had, they're asking it now. And they're taking that to a different level and sharing that with some of their grandchildren or their children. And, you know, sometimes great grandchildren and you know, they're, they're growing their network and, and their knowledge. And I, I love that you're taking the time to, to talk about your journey. And I, I just have one, well, actually two final questions. Um, is there any one piece of advice that you'd share with the listeners, um, either from a financial estate planning or personal perspective that you'd really like to make sure that you get out there in the world? Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I believe in instincts. I believe it's a real thing. I believe that we are taught to deny it, suppress it, ignore it, trash it. Um, and I think that if, and this, and, and at some point we learn to mistrust or we, we are taught to mistrust it. And I would say, whether it's in financial planning, uh, legal estate planning, your decisions about your professional life, your decisions as a mother, as a woman, learn to cultivate listening to your instinct. It's a real, real Thing, whether you're coming at it from an evolutionary standpoint, which I've studied, whether you're coming at it from a spiritual standpoint, which I've studied, or an academic standpoint, it, it is on every level, instinct is real. And I think we ignore it way too much. I would just say, you know, listen, listen for it, listen to it, um, take baby steps to follow it. I love that advice. And in closing, my final question reverts back to the initial question that I asked you, which is, 
your, what your favorite wine is, which you said sangria, which is more of a blend. But what do you like to pair with that? What food? Well, we so we just made this really incredible sangria at the house and we had it with homemade hamburgers, like grilled out hamburgers. And it was so tasty that I can't wait to do it again this weekend. <laughs> I love it. Sangria and hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, it was just, and I don't know if it was just like, cause we were taking a moment as a family to all sit at the table together, that it was, you know, more of the moment that made it just so tasty more of this idea that we've been super busy. I think we mentioned, you know, earlier that this month has just been quite the busy one and intends to be for me. And um, we had a moment where we sat down and it was just some grilled out burgers, you know, that we made at home and, and no restaurant meal has tasted so good as that meal. It still sticks out for me. <laughs> You know, I think that we, again, here goes back to something that you said about taking time to enjoy what, what's around us in life. And, and, you know, that simple meal, Mm -hmm. um, grilling burgers and sitting with family and just saying, you know, this is our special time together. Amy, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I I just, I, I'm walking away from this conversation with great emotion. Um, not exactly what I anticipated when I started the conversation today, but I, my heart feels very full and I want to say thank you so much for the honesty that you uh, actually shared with us today and for taking the time out of your schedule. I'm going to post some information about your business on, on our um, show notes so that anybody that's listening to this in the, the um, Atlanta area, most certainly, but in Georgia in general, or in or in the state of Florida, that might be interested in doing some estate planning would would um, be able to reach out to you and get get some information from you because I think uh, I think you're an amazing person, number one, and I think you'll you'll definitely be able to help people with that journey that they start on when they go through the estate planning process. It is not, it is an emotional journey when we start talking about those final moments of our life Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and and what we want to do and just the plan that we're putting in place with regards to that. And, And I feel confident that they'll be in great hands if they're working with you. So thank you so much for your time today. This was a great conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the platform that you're building here and creating in the community that you you have here. And um, what a testament to your passion and mission uh, for education around money and having good, healthy relationships with money. And um, I was just honored to be here with you today. And I too walk away energized by the conversation. I, it was a pleasure. So when we're driving down through and we happen to hit Atlanta, I'll make sure to let you know we can enjoy some sangria with Melbeck base and a burger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. 
And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.